Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to give their attention, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. The highest court in the land streamed live around the world. Hi, everyone. I'm CNN senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson and for David Chalian, and this is The Daily D.C., The coronavirus has changed so many things about American life, including the way the Supreme Court, one of the most tech-averse and secretive bodies in the nation, conducts its business. With justices forced to go remote to consider 10 cases, they made the unprecedented decision to stream audio of the arguments. Uh, And this includes key cases this week about President Trump's tax returns and the Electoral College. Joining me now to break down those cases and the implication of the court's live streams is Supreme Court reporter Ariane DeVogue. Ariane, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. So the Supreme Court is just like the rest of us working from home. I want you to take our listeners through some of the challenges that they face. I mean, these are folks who are of a certain age and they're not uh, exactly the most tech savvy people. You're absolutely right. But let me set the scene how things usually are, right? Before um, this COVID-related recording, usually uh, the the session starts. It's a hushed courtroom. It's a regal setting. That gavel goes down. The velvet curtain parts. And the justices come out. They take their seats. Usually on the plaza, there's a big protests on big days, a long line snaking around the block for people who are hoping to get a coveted seat. And all that changed over the last two weeks. All that pomp and circumstance was replaced with a simple phone line. So just like the rest of us, the justices started these hearings by getting on a conference call. And I have to say, as awful as COVID has been for the rest of the country, it has had these unexpected consequences at the Supreme Court because it's led to greater transparency. They're listening uh, remotely, holding these arguments remotely, but they're letting the public listen in real time. And that's never happened before. And all in all, on the first day, it was a little bit of a rough start. Uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, she forgot to mute. And then on another day, she forgot again. Uh, Justice Sotomayor? Justice Sotomayor? I am sorry, Chief. Did it again. Mr. Michelle? And we have to get this out of the way. That was not the only glitch uh, that came down during oral arguments. I was sitting in my living room listening to another really technical case uh, having to do with robocalls. And all of a sudden, I heard something that sounded an awful lot like a toilet flush. (laughs) It was the toilet flush that went around the country. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed 
And it's, it's yeah. a call that would have been allowed and it's no longer allowed. We may never know the offender of that one. <laughs> right. I think there's some guesses out there, but we probably shouldn't name names. Right. And I know that uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, some people like to call her RBG, she actually participated in some of these oral arguments from her hospital bed after an infection. How is she doing and has has this affected her at all? You know, she's unstoppable. She's a four-time cancer survivor. She's 87 years old. And then when these hearings started up, we got a note from the court that she was suffering from a benign gallbladder infection. Uh, But she decided that she'd go ahead and participate in oral arguments from her hospital bed. And the case that she heard from there had to do with the Trump administration that's trying to weaken the Affordable Care Act's contraceptive mandate. And that's a case that she cares a lot about. She jumped in and uh, she had some scathing comments for the government in that case. What the government has done in expanding this exemption is to toss to the winds entirely Congress's instruction that women need and shall have seamless, no-cost, comprehensive coverage. That's vintage Ruth Bader Ginsburg right there. And I guess there's no calling in sick, right, if you're on the Supreme Court? Well, you know, she could have very well not have uh, participated and read the the transcript later on. That's happened before. But no, she thought she was going to do it from her hospital bed there. Wow, what a warrior. Uh, And we talked a little bit about how this is the first time that the Supreme Court has heard arguments remotely and the first time a wide audience can hear the arguments live. Uh, Are the justices uh, conscious of this at all, do you think, as as they hear these cases and, and talk about these cases? And could it at all affect the actual outcome of the cases. Look, they're very, very conscious of the format here. And, you know, it comes up a lot because Roberts is asked all the time, why can't there be cameras in the courtroom? And he has always come back on that issue and said, look, he has a fear that the lawyers, the justices, they might try to showboat because they know that this might be going out live. But we did not see that in the last two weeks at all. In fact, it was much more of sort of a civics lesson. Uh, People who listened in real time, they got really a chance to see how the least seen branch of government works. Yeah. Is it your sense that this might be here to stay? I mean, you mentioned that this is people have been pushing for this kind of open uh, arguments on television. Do you think this is something that could change? Look, I think we're far from cameras in the courtroom, but I think that this ended up all in all being a pretty successful experiment. And I wouldn't be surprised if they allowed this to continue. That is just the audio, the live audio. And you've covered the courts for for some time. Have you noticed any of the justices acting differently at all with uh, this new format, with folks being able to listen in live? One big change, of course, was Justice Clarence Thomas, because under normal circumstances, Clarence Thomas never talks up at oral arguments. Uh, He's somebody who's very gregarious in private. He does speaking appearances. But for some reason, he has chosen not to uh, speak up at oral arguments. In fact, once he went 10 years without even asking a question. But now in this new format, he really liked that format. He was a vigorous questioner. You heard his booming barrett tone. And this week, for the first time, people really got a chance to hear from Clarence Thomas long before the opinions. Uh, Justice Thomas? Uh, yes, uh, Ms. Ross, the, a couple of questions. Um, the, could uh, booking, uh, 
acquire an 800 number for ex- that's a vanity number, 1-800-BOOKING, for example. Uh, and there is- he is. He comes out a lot uh, throughout the two weeks. He asked a lot of questions. And with that, we'll be back with more on the Supreme Court with Ariane DeVoke. And we are back with Supreme Court reporter Ariane DeVoe. Ariane, let's dive into one of the big cases this week. We'll hear argument next in case 19635, Donald Trump versus Cyrus Vance. Mr. Seculo? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. And Orion, there are actually two cases focusing on the president's tax returns, and we know this has been a fight that has been going on for a very, very long time. I want you to give us some background and walk our listeners through what these cases mean for the chances of the public actually seeing the president's tax returns. Right. As you said, these are two of the biggest cases of the term. Uh, And they both have to do with President Trump's bid to shield his financial documents. But they actually touch on very separate legal questions. Uh, The first case concerns the House. The House wants to uh, subpoena uh, his accounting firm and two of his banks for financial documents. The House is looking into potential ethics violations, that maybe they need to amend some of their laws. That's a big separation of powers case, right? And Trump, of course, calls it a fishing expedition. The second case has to do with a New York prosecutor. Now, he's looking for the same types of documents. He's actually asking for the tax returns. And he's doing it because he has opened this investigation looking into possible violations of New York law in issues having to do with hush money. Here, President Trump's personal lawyers are making a different argument. Here, they're saying that he has what they call temporary absolute immunity. That's a very broad claim of immunity. And his lawyers in the lower court said, look, even if he was caught shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue in New York City, he would be immune from prosecution while he was in office. So these are actually two really broad cases having to do with separation of powers and these broad claims of immunity. So were you able to get a sense at all from the arguments of which way the justices are leaning at all? I know everybody's like, oh, it's it's like reading tea leaves, trying to figure out what the justices uh, will do based on these oral arguments. But let's start with the liberal justices. Right. Well, in the case having to do with the New York prosecutor, the liberals were not at all buying Trump's broad claims of immunity. They were having nothing to do with that. Take a listen here. You're asking for a broader immunity than anyone else gets. We're asking for temporary presidential immunity. You've said that a number of times and made the point, which we have made, that presidents can't be treated just like an ordinary citizen. But it's also true, and indeed a fundamental precept of our constitutional order, that a president isn't above the law. Yeah, right there. That's Justice Elena Kagan. Very straightforward there, not buying those arguments at all. And she was equally dismissive in the other case having to do with the House. Take a listen to her there. What it seems to me you're asking us to do is to put a kind of 10-ton weight on the scales between the president and Congress, and essentially to make it impossible for Congress to perform oversight and to carry out its functions where the president is concerned. And look, she that's really strong language, right? A 10-ton weight. Uh, she is very direct with her questioning. 
And what about the conservative justice? What's your sense of what the arguments were that they are favoring? Well, in the House case, several of them were worried about harassing the president. They thought that those subpoenas uh, issued by the House were too broad. Listen to Justice Samuel Alito and Justice Clarence Thomas. That's the issue here, whether something should be done to prevent the use of these subpoenas for the harassment of a president. Not a single thing is required of the president or the White House. Justice Ginsburg, we all know it's about the president. That last bit, that's Justice Thomas. And that's interesting because Thomas, a conservative, he is totally rejecting the House's claim that these subpoenas aren't a big deal because they weren't directed exactly at Trump. Instead, they were sent to his uh, accounting firms. But... uh, Justice Thomas is having none of that. And he says, you know, it's all about the presidency. And it's interesting, they're using language that Trump himself has used in terms of the way folks are trying to investigate him. He's himself called it, uh, this is just amounts to presidential harassment. Uh, So that's a sort of interesting overlap there. What's your sense? Everybody looks at Chief Justice Roberts as sort of the new swing voter. Kennedy's gone and and, and they see Justice Roberts uh, as as the swing voter here. What's your sense of that? Well, I'll preface it right by saying you never know. You can never judge anything from oral arguments. And there's actually quite a lot of different ways this court could rule. But Roberts is going to be, um, he's probably going to be right in the center of this. And he might be looking for a middle ground. And you can see that in this question. Take a listen. So it sounds like at the end of the day, this is just another case where the courts are balancing the competing interests on either side. Is that the wrong way to look at it? What Roberts might be looking at there is, okay, maybe he would reject Trump's broad claims that the House can never, ever investigate. Maybe he would send this case back down to the lower courts with a new standard that's kind of more of a balance. But what would be key there is that Trump, in that situation, he might ultimately uh, win. But the New York case, that sounded a lot different to me. And it did sound like uh, President Trump might lose there. And at the end of the day, his tax returns would go to that grand jury, but uh, it's worth noting that they would be subject to grand jury secrecy. So we might not see them right away at least. Right. That's interesting. Uh, Sort of a mixed bag possibly coming out of this. What's your sense about historical precedent and how that's at play here? There's some pretty famous examples uh, that were being cited during these arguments, cases about Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. Right. Well, for the lower courts and certainly for the liberal justices, these cases were all about that precedent. Because if you think about it, think about the Nixon case there. The court allowed those subpoenas for official documents. And these cases, keep in mind, they're not about official presidential documents. They're about the president's documents. And and President Clinton's civil lawsuit, that was allowed to go forward. So if you listen to or if you looked at how the lower courts ruled here and listen to how the liberals were seeing these cases, It was all about precedent. And there was another case yesterday before the court that was extremely important for November's election. And and this one dealt with something called faithless electors. Can you walk us through what this case is about? Right. Well, fundamentally, this is a dispute and it's whether states can penalize a presidential elector 
who doesn't vote for the winner of the popular election, right? That's a faithless elector. And to be honest, it's really never made a big difference in history. It's never thrown an election. But, you know, these days are different and things are volatile now. And so the Supreme Court stepped in to hear this case about these so-called rogue electors and whether or not after they've been chosen and after they've taken a pledge, they can basically vote the way they want. And that really, it bothered several of the conservatives. They worried about chaos, but it also troubled uh, uh, Justice Thomas and his questions He referenced uh, a popular Lord of the Rings character. Take a listen. (laughs) The elector who had promised to vote for the winning candidate could suddenly say, you know, uh, I'm going to vote for Frodo Baggins. And that's, I really like Frodo Baggins. And you're saying under your system, you can't do anything about that. Right. So you get to see the humor of Justice Thomas there. And you also, you know, he tips his hands in some of these cases. So you might understand where he's going uh, before we finally get the opinions whenever this term ends. Yeah, he certainly tips his hand uh, as a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and did it seem to you like the justices were leaning one way or the other on this particular case? And what do you think? it means for the election, if anything. Look, I think in this case, it was fascinating arguments that went over two hours, but I think here that they're going to uh, rule in favor of the states and saying, look, if a state wants to pass a law to penalize a so-called rogue elector, uh, it can. And if the court does rule that way, uh, it will have settled the question, but more or less kept the status quo. And Ariane, you've been covering SCOTUS for a long time. I wonder if you could talk about how this process has been different for you covering the court remotely and listening to live streamed arguments. Well, you know, sometimes I laugh and I think, you know, here I am in my slippers uh, taking notes uh, for the Supreme Court. And then I kind of close my eyes. I think, you know, it's just as Breyer in his slippers and where's Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Uh, I have to say, as a journalist, I like this because I could take notes on my computer. I'm never allowed to bring my computer up. Uh, I liked it a little less because my editors wanted me to weigh in halfway through. And I usually like to listen to the entire oral argument. But I guess... I also missed, I missed the grandeur of the courtroom proceeding. I missed seeing the justices. You know, if you look at them, you can see if they're satisfied with a question. You can see what really perks their ears. So I missed that aspect. Um, but I have to say, I love the transparency. You know, I have uh, the great privilege to cover the Supreme Court. I get to go there all the time. And I just felt great that other people who wanted to be there as these uh, uh, arguments were rolling out, that they could just listen in live like the rest of it. I liked it for my children. I liked it for everybody out there. So I'm really hoping that they keep up with this transparency. I think uh, that was great. Yeah, it really is a civics lesson, uh, as you said previously, and and one that we can all enjoy in our slippers if if we'd like to. (laughs) At least I do. Yeah. Ariane, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment, positive rating in comments. Uh, It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, y'all. And we'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. 
And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.